Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Alright everybody, welcome back to the podcast with another awesome episode in the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure series, The Queen, and the quest line, The Way of the Queen. Our party had made their journey from Eagleheart now, heading off towards Glint to apparently go meet some strange wizard known as Portaglare to find out how, perchance, they can assist the Queen in capturing a Hydra with strange magics. We got a lot of interesting stuff going on, including a bunch of strange shadowy ninjas who apparently have some connection to the eyes of Felur, but only Anton knows this. It hasn't really told the group yet. Instead, they saw a very strange Avengers-esque style of snapped fingers, smoky fadeaway, and they saw a woman uh, apparently meet a very untimely and unsavory fate over by a tree. Um, now within the forest of the Wandering Swordsmen and standing amongst the corpses, or at least dust piles of their enemies, we return to our party. So what do you guys do now? I kind of put my hand through the dust and then pat it away and I'm like, this is not a good sign. And even as you do that, you can tell that the dust becomes even more insubstantial as if fading into like air as you do it. Surely not. Uh, quite a bit tougher than the average Brigand. No, that guy punched me backwards. <laughs> this is a cult of shadows. So Shitty. I imagine Anton at this point discloses the name, the Eyes of Failure, which um, I don't imagine you guys have heard too much about them, but like she recognized them from viewing them, but after hearing it, it, this is sort of like, I don't know, hearing about like strange, like under shadows, political groups that like do strange things. Like this is a group that like you've heard whispers of and almost hope that they don't actually exist because of what they're associated with. But they're like this select cloistered group of monks and disciples who worship the shadows in the darkness and do evil deeds in the name of the demigod failure. And they're, I don't want to say agents for hire, but the, the choices and moves that the leaders of this like monastery of, of assassins and monks and stuff, like the way that they decide what they're going to do is very cryptic and strange, but every once in a while, some political move or some political group is backed by them and it's not a good thing. So the fact that you guys see them out here in the woods is alarming. The fact that, you know, one of them said what it did to Klika is very alarming. And the fact that they encountered this random woman and killed her is also very alarming. 
So I imagine you probably relay all that to the party, Anton, but with more candles. Yep, yep. And then I go head over to the lady's body and do a a quick prayer to the light. So one thing that you guys notice as you approach, and I think Kalika is really the one to notice this more than anybody else, but we can... Um, I can get uh, from Anton and Norhill a history check and Arcana if Charzak has Arcana. Got a nine. Oh my gosh, does he have Arcana? You know what Charzak also doesn't have? <laughs> <laughs> you know what Charzak's really good at? Not much. Lying. Lying. And scaring people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that comes up at some point. I'll be sure to throw you an opportunity to lie somebody at some point, maybe. Um, so, um, I've gotten an 11 history. Okay. And then what did we get for the other check? Uh, did Anton get anything of value or worse? Oh, I got a nine for history. Okay. You said a nine for history? Yeah. Okay. So with that, it seems like nobody really knows much of anything. I guess Norhill probably notices that judging by the fact this lady's wearing like something close to plate mail, but it's robed. So there's like white robing all over it that's been pulled back past her head and she's not wearing a helm, but she looks to be half elven. Uh, Klika can tell very clearly as she gets kind of like this weird flashback seeing the pendant that keeps the cowl and the robe over the armor here. It looks kind of like a scroll on this like metal pendant and you can tell very clearly this is the Tome Guard Signia. And this lady must have been some sort of agent for the Tome Guard, um, which Nora Hill has some idea of who these people must be, but they're known as sort of kind of, I don't want to say free agents themselves, but they're usually working in tandem with magical forces to sort of understand certain magical phenomenon, protect magical balance, and also prevent magical calamity. So the fact that she's out here all by herself and alone and all that jazz is alarming. And the fact that she was killed by the eyes of the Lear monks out here is also very alarming. But I imagine Clico probably has something of an emotional response to seeing this. But I don't know. How does Clico react to this? Um, I think Clico very, like, gently takes the um, amulet and unclasps it from her neck and like puts it in a pouch of hers to like return to uh, Tome Guard the next time she sees one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then just wonders why uh, she was alone out here because they normally work in at least like pairs and stuff as far as Kleek knows. So it's just kind of scares her a bit that one of them was alone out here and also killed. Mm -hmm. And so um, checking her over just at a glance, it does seem like she's got something of like, I don't want to say like a journeyman's sack, but she's got kind of like one of those like a messenger pouches to her. Um, and at her side, she also has something of like a short sword that appears to be very well kept as well as looking kind of fancy in its scabbard. Um, but apart from that, yeah, she looks like she got beat up and bad. Like she looks like she got ambushed and these guys kind of reveled in the fact that they were beating her up. Like it doesn't look like it was one swift thing. It looks like somebody was being punished or potentially tortured. 
Yeah, I guess Clica so. will also like, you know, clean her off like any like dried blood around the mouth and stuff like that, just to, like sort of <laughs> just whips I out a know. full broom. Yeah, it's like with like a <laughs> handkerchief or a rag or something, just sort of try and clean her up. Sure, of course. Um, and also, she wants to check the messenger bag at some point too. Okay. Does it seem like Klika has anything of like an emotional response that's like kind of outward? I know like the cleaning the lady off probably comes off as kind of a point of importance, especially if Norhill sees that this lady's so important and then sees Klika take like special care to like tend to this and take the clasp off without saying anything. Does it seem like Klika's almost taking on a demeanor for this moment or is this kind of like muted sort of bland behavior? No, yeah, she just like a lot more quiet and still than like anyone's no used to seeing Klika, you know? Sure. Like, I think like normally she has like at least kind of like a half crooked smile on her face and like is just like looking around or just like sort of attentive. But right now she's just very solemn. Mm-hmm. So I think that sort of is the vibe. Sure. And so with that, um, Checking over the bag and looking through it, you pull out a couple of scrolls, both of them in seemingly like wooden cases. Um, One of them, it has on it sort of a mention of a tragedy in Glent, and it mentions something of a certain magic-using creature that has been sort of tormenting this area, and they sent her out here to do some sort of like perspective work. Um, and it mentions all this written in like the common tongue, but it's, it's written out to find a certain hill giant known as Armdeg. And apparently Armdeg is some sort of a magic user that's kind of taken up hold in Glint and should just be snuffed out easily. But what's more alarming is the other note that's rolled up in another scroll you can tell is not on paper, but instead this looks like torn rags and it looks like somebody wrote with like charcoal on here. But unfortunately, I don't think you can read this. Uh, what languages do you speak? Uh, common, Draconic, Elvish, Goblin, and Orcish. Okay. So these symbols look similar to some of the Orcish symbols, like alphabetically speaking, but overall the structure in the language is hard to tell. Norhill, who's been kind of seeing what's going on with all of these things here, can tell clearly as it's opened up and pulled out that that's the Dwarvish script. Oh, I know Dorvish. I can read it to him. Do you mind? And you know, he holds out his hand for the second scroll, for the rag scroll. I imagine there's a level of like panicked, like demanding to see it in some way, because for the first time in months, Norhill has heard nothing of anything at all from the dwarves, and seeing Dwarvish script out here is both alarming and probably like a sense of home to him. But seeing that it's blood tattered rags with like charcoal like hastily written on here is probably terrifying to say the least. You know what I mean? Yeah, a little bit. I think uh, when Norhill speaks up, Klika like jumps a bit, like startled because she just sort of got so lost in like what she was doing that she kind of zoned everything else out and just forgot that there were people around. So yeah, she like jumps up and then she like looks around and suddenly realizes like where she is and everything else and looks down back at the scroll and she says, oh, um, yeah, yeah, he, here, you can have it. And Norhill... You can't read it. <laughs> Norhill yeah, hastily... Norhill takes it and, you know, like, you know, flat, uh, you, know uh, you know, flattens it out 
and you know, Rhea reads it very intensely, you know, once over and then again out loud. So as if to sort of provide a lot of substance to the fears that Norhill would have had seeing a piece of fabric written on like this, it's written so hastily and speaks of such nightmarish things that it seems to make all of like the tremblings inside Norhill's belly upon not being home just that much worse. The messages are hard to tell what they mean, but basically it says that the steel is alive, the stones are sick, there is blood seeping from the rocks and the walls, and there is this terrible metallic noise. People are being killed every single day by living stone. Weapons are getting up and killing people. The weapons of the dwarves themselves are rusting and rotting and turning to dust. And it's just like living hell within the dwarven keep. And the doors are not closed because the dwarves want them closed. Nobody can open the doors and they are hardened beyond that of even adamantium. And it is just like something is keeping everybody in there and it is messing with all of the metal specifically. And Norhill, upon reading this, finds that somehow this scroll must have gotten out of there, meaning there must be some way to get in that even he has no idea of. But hearing this level of panic and torment that comes along with this, like this was not written by a dwarf who's like, hey, we need help. This is written by a dwarf that's like, I'm already dead. Like, like this is living hell. And so the one message that really scares you the most is something saying that it's like the steel itself is calling for somebody and like the metallic resonance that they speak of, like this, like this beckoning of the steel is calling to something. And it almost seems like it comes in with like aftershocks and waves of the torment down there. And you just reading this over, how does Norhill look? Cause I know you mentioned the quick once over, but I don't think he made it through once over before we saw Norhill kind of melt a little bit. Yeah, no, he goes, like intensely pale and just sort of stares at it for a very long time before finally muttering by Morden's sacred hearth. I couldn't have imagined. So I guess everybody's looking at Klika being weird and then they look over at Norhill being weird. What's going on in the Jarzak show? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Jarzak's just like, man, you see how I dusted that one? <laughs> Get it? <laughs> he waited this whole time to say that. God Everyone was having their it. moments. I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> just, yeah, because he was so far behind, he just casually like walks up and just says <laughs> when he gets there, as they're all having these like touching moments. I don't think this is a touching moment for either of them. I feel like it's like well, getting like touched a, by a mallet. Like, oh shit moments, I guess. And Charizard just comes, see how I dusted that guy. <laughs> Anton lights a candle. Um, oh, just a quick question. I'm trying to remember from the beginning of the game. Is didn't this about this... bonus action spells? No, didn't this happen before? <laughs> what do you mean? Like something of this kind where the stones were bleeding once in the past and something attacked. Like, I try to remember. Mm. That, that, that was a prelude to a horrible war. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm trying to remember the political the tone like, of the entire region the for hundreds of years after. I'm just trying to like remember the details. Because you think but like. Anton didn't read the note. Unless you snuck up behind Norhill, who probably wouldn't have even I noticed thought he you said he read him. it aloud. I didn't think so. 
Yeah, uh, uh, judging by the content, we decided that Norhill wouldn't even wouldn't even have gotten to that point yet. I figured he'd be so awestruck from seeing Dwarvish at all, he would like quickly read through it, and then upon seeing the dire nature, it'd be like, <gasps> but you could have just like it. walked over and like read over his shoulder and read it. And yeah, yeah, it's pretty clear to anybody who can read this that like, yeah, the the War of the Bleeding Stone was preceded by this or I guess the greatest battle that occurred, and the reason why it's referred to as the War of the Bleeding Stone was the Dwarven Mountains to the south, both of them. The dwarves had mentioned that in the mines, like they saw blood like drizzling out of the stones as if like condensation, you know what I mean? And so reading again that the stones are bleeding is horrifying to say the least, especially because the last war had nothing to do with steel being all kinds of angry and no metal was trying to kill people or anything like that. So this is just a horse of a different color, but it sure does trot the trot, you know what I mean? What was the last war fought over again? Um, I, can I get a history check on that one? Yeah. What the? F- uh, Twelve. So, I mean, essentially what happened was there was this half-demonic guy that I... He's referred to as being a half-demon, but basically his name was Stormblood, and he was this brutal druid who had managed to somehow align the forces of, like, uh, orcs, and he had gotten together, like, giants and ogres and just all these kinds of evil beings that vie for power like this. He had managed to organize them and get them together in a sense of unity and managed to just, like, through a bunch of swift little moves and very strategic actions, managed to... And I think that that's probably about as much as you know, apart from the fact that there was a swift victory afterwards. And, uh, I mean, this is also the reason why goblins are liked, and that's why you have, like, the fancy goblins that are friends of the humans, is somehow the Dwarvish defenses got taken down and we don't know who caused that little thing, but people always assume it must be the gnomes and the halflings because they live in the area close to where that would be and they'd be the only ones to know about a secret passage uh, into the Dwarven home. But apart from that, especially, I mean, that seems to be a very relevant detail now that I'm saying it out loud, especially hearing that this note somehow got out. But apart from that, um, that's about all you know about the war itself. Um, But yeah, okay. And so with all that in mind and seeing the uh, dwarf still kind of hung up on this and Kalika also hung up on her business, uh, what happens now? Looking over this, I imagine we must head to Glent as soon as possible. Yeah, and yeah, Norhill kind of, you know, snaps himself out of it and almost like he's afraid of doing it and he puts his helmet back on. Right. Right, of course. I will say that upon putting your helmet on your head, Norhill has a moment trying to stave, like, stave himself against like the trials and tribulations he just got from reading a note, and he remembers dinging in his head the queen's promise that she would do whatever it takes to protect, like, to perhaps help you if you help her. And so, hearing this, recalling the stories of secret passages through the dwarven place, I imagine Norhill would probably feel like. If this note was supposed to get somewhere important and be some sort of sign that something should happen, maybe the queen's the one and only person who can actually help. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he sort of, you know, like, yeah, rolls it up and tucks it into his own scroll case and says, yes, uh, time is of the absolute essence. We should 
get going and fulfill the mission as soon as possible. Fair enough. Yeah, and, and so then you know he sort of you know does that thing where he like sort of bounces back and forth in a couple of di different directions, almost as if he's now one hundred percent sure how to get started. He's just walking back and forth a couple quick times. Electric slide. There you go. The dwarf slide. Again. <laughs> you can't Oogie, stop Oogie, this Oogie, guy. Oogie. <laughs> he does it all the time. Just in intense emotional pain and distress, and they're like, "He's so good at that dance move." <laughs> are you just? Are you? Are you? Uh, Kevin Bacon right now, just dancing your feelings away, Norhill? Was that Footloose? Yeah, there you go. It's just Footloose, but dwarf loose. <laughs> I've never actually seen Footloose, so I don't know. Well, all right, Anthony. I'm not actually that upset with you about that at all. Um, can't really say I recommend that movie, but whatever. I don't imagine I'm alienating anybody with that. So with that, the party, um, is there anything going to happen to this lady's body here? or? What would it, I mean, how far do we think we are from Glenn to be able to you're, carry it back? You're on your, like, your last day of getting there. So it wouldn't be hard to like transport the body and get there in time. You'd probably be there by sundown. Yeah, I think we should transport the body. Fair enough. Okay. So in that case, I imagine maybe using what you guys have at your disposal for like sheets or something like that. Maybe we could even say that the lady herself had a traveling tent and you guys can use that as something of like a makeshift like carrier to like, you know what I mean? Yeah, just yeah. make like a little like a stretcher or even just put her on the tarp and drag the tarp. I don't know why the word drag sounds so awful when used with a dead body. Just drag the corpse. <laughs> I don't know how many words we can... I suppose, Clicka, you seem to be familiar with, if not this individual with her order. Is there any way that they honor their fallen in particular? I mean, uh, for what it's worth, I mean, they don't. you don't really associate much of anything with that. Probably really important people are probably given some sort of a hero's, like, you know what I mean, funeral. But, like, a random person here, it's like a soldier. Like, when they die, like, they're remembered amongst their ranks, but it's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, with that, uh, the corpse is ceremoniously uh, dragged along, as is Norhill's wish. Indeed. So I would say at like the setting of the sun, sort of like that six o'clock sort of zone where it's starting to get really dark out in the late summer, early fall, um, the party arrives to the outskirts of Glen as you pass by a few cottages and some like farming uh, land. But this place doesn't look like terrorized and mutilated. It doesn't look like the kind of place that's like war torn or anything like that. But there is a level of quiet in this place that does seem kind of like unsettling. And you notice that there's like no major like torches. Nobody's walking around. There's no like lights and windows. It's like as you walk in and get closer in, it does seem to be more of a ghost town the farther you come into the place. But overall, it doesn't seem like there's more than like 15 or 20 houses in the whole place. And it does seem like there's only a few small shops and businesses. And as you guys are wandering in through what seems to be like a main road, you pass by a tavern that seems to be dead quiet called the Iron Duckling. And at this point, you're standing basically at the crossroads to like the middle of the town. 
Um, in the distance, you can see that there's a tall stone structure, kind of like a tower somewhere, like towards the far uh, east of town. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's much of anything going on. It's very quiet here. So what would you like to do? I want to look for a church. Okay. Um, okay, fair enough. Yeah, there actually is a church, now that you mention it. It's on the far side of town. I imagine using your keen Anton eyesight, you managed to see in the distance something of like a cathedral spire, as if like maybe there's like a bell tower in the distance. Um, but it's at the far side of town, actually kind of close to the big stone tower, but more towards like, I don't know, the center of town. So, okay. Is there anything anybody else wants to do? Or is Anton just like, I see a church and just starts running? Uh, Norhill will go with Anton to deliver the tome guard's body. Yeah, can we use words that don't sound awful about a corpse? Just like dragging the corpse, we deliver a corpse. Like, can we? <laughs> like, we just drop it off. New from Amazon fucking Prime. <laughs> Same day delivery. But anyway. Yeah, it should be on your doorstep between 4 and 8 p.m. And then they took a picture of it to show that they delivered it. Yep. To a fucking body. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> like, hey, you didn't deliver my package. That's just that guy who sleeps on my stoop. <laughs> like, yeah, he was really mad. But, okay. So the plan for the party is to go ahead and out that way. Yeah, I think Klee is going to make sure that the uh, tome guard gets put to rest. Fair enough. Okay, so the party go rushing over there as the sun's setting, and as you guys are approaching and getting close over there, you can hear somebody kind of like let out a hissing whisper from a window near one of the houses closest to the church, and somebody like kind of barks out to you guys in a very like sharp, hit, like hushing tone, where they're just like, hey, hey, what are you doing? Get over here. As nobody does. <laughs> Norville like you know looks up and tries to locate the source of the whisper. You guys can see in a window um, on the first story of one of the bigger houses over here. There's like a single candlelight. Somebody's blocking with their hand, and you can see like a face sort of counter illuminated by the back light of the hand. And you see it's like just kind of like a grubby guy's face, and he just yells out and he like is peeking through the window and he's like, "Hey, listen, you can't be out." He's going to be doing his rounds. Come on, get in. Um, insight, I guess. Um, is, is, does it seem you know, spooky or sketchy at all? Let's I, roll. Natural one. <laughs> I don't know. Matt, 20 on I... an insight from Jarzak. Oh, okay. Well, here we go then. It's a 21 total, but yeah, not 20. <laughs> This I guy got 20, but um, I didn't crit, but I got Okay, so a non-natural. Okay. <laughs> I have really good insight, guys. Very good. So <laughs> Jarzak and Anton can see that this guy is very panicked, and he means every word of it. He is, like, very scared for your well-being, and he wants you to get inside this house for your well-being. Uh, can we bring a body inside of this house? And he looks down and sees the body and says, mm -hmm. I, I guess so, if you don't want to be three bodies in the street. Come on, get in. Oh, fuck. Okay. I say three. I don't know why there's three. Yeah. Did, I, who, did, who did he miss? I thought Jarzak and Anton. I thought about Jarzak and Anton because you guys succeeded on that check, and I thought <laughs> two people were there. 
It's it's a podcast. We're doing a thing. Don't worry about click, it. Click um, is a designated survivor. Yeah. <laughs> Click is already in the house. She didn't make an inside check. She just went in. <laughs> um, and so with that, uh, does everybody enter? Yeah. 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 Okay. So you guys come in and you see a group of about five men and like three women in here. And each one of them seem to be armed with like kitchen tools or planks of wood, things with like makeshift nails in them. Like they look armed to the teeth, but not with weapons. And they all look up at you, or at least not like a weapon weapon, you know what I mean? Impromptu. And they look up at you guys and they say, where did you come from? Get in, close the door. I get in and close the door. And I try to settle the body in the best place possible without it being too awkward. And you have uh, a woman, she kind of like scoots forward and looks at the corpse that you guys brought in. And she looks over the body and she says, oh, this is an omen. This is a terrible omen. And everybody starts to kind of like hush her and whisper. And they're like, come on, keep it down. He's going to be around here any minute now. And then they start looking back and forth. And you can hear just this rabbling of whispers that makes it almost hard to say anything or hear anything. And the lady who said it was an omen, she just says, I saw her come through here last weekend. She's been sniffing around and looking for something. I don't know what. If she wanted to help us, she would have helped us. That damned giant around. And then another person kind of like speaks up and whispers too. And he says, be quiet. And you notice this is the grubby guy from the window. And I'm not saying he looks like he's in charge around here, but he looks like he's been through some beatdowns, but has the most resolve out of everybody. And he looks over at you guys and he says, my name is Mano. And I don't know where you've come from or what you're doing, but I saw you headed to the church. What is your business with that church? The business was to find a proper burial place for the body. We weren't going to just leave it in the woods. And so with that, he looks back and forth at everybody in the room and he says, well, I run that church and it's been condemned and I'm not allowed to go back in there. Arndeg does not appreciate any mentions of the light. What? what... (laughs) Oh, oh, this is where Anton's going to get his jock rock started up and be like, (laughs) hell yeah. (laughs) Time to go kick some ass. But with that, he says, I don't know where you came from, and I will do my best to perform the last rites for this woman. But in the current predicament that we're in, I don't think we have much of an opportunity for any sort of salvation. I I don't think we're going to be able to have a moment of peace to to lay this body to rest. What condemns this town? And everybody kind of in unison looks over at you guys as if like, you don't fucking know. And they look over at you and they're just like, Arndeg. I think hearing that name, Klika pulls out the um, scroll that was on the tome guard. With that, the lady points to the scroll and says, Another omen! A goblin who can read amongst an orc who does not feast upon our flesh? And they kind of turn to her and they're like, You shut the hell up. And they say, as the the guy and the the guy, apparently the priest there, Mano, speaks up and he says, Let the lady speak. Um, Meaning Klika, that is not Omen Lady. <laughs> the um, the Tome Guard had this scroll on her. It had um, orders, I think, to investigate this Armdeg fella. So that's what she was doing, and she got killed by some monks from the many eyes of Felur. 
And, and nobody in here seems to understand what the heck that means, but some of them seem to be kind of like tilting their head as if like that's something spooky. You know what I mean? But that omen lady steps up again and she points a finger at Klika and she says, another omen. They found it on her corpse and they speak of strange agents of darkness. They're probably here with our deck and they're trying to find us in our home. We should have never let them in. We need to kick them out right now. Klika points another finger back at the lady. Just... And she says, Omen! <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, inaccurate. Uh, we are not aligned with Arndak. Our running into this uh, unfortunate individual was purely coincidental. And so with that, everybody uh, in the room... So, uh, we, were, we were coming into Glench on the, on the road through the forest of the wandering swordsman uh, from Eagle Heart. And so with that, they all kind of look back and forth at one another, and they say, look, we don't know what it's going to take for you to help us, but this Arndeg is, he titles himself Arndeg the Weird, and we've seen him cast magic spells and incinerate things and, and just, just cast lightning bolts and destroy things with the flick of his wrist. We've never seen such a strange feat from any giant, let alone a hill giant, and beyond that, we don't understand why he torments us so, but he has this strange obsession with our weapons, and he piles them all up inside of his tower in the east. And we've heard him grating the steel on steel and hearing that deep screeching noise that he just listens to it like a symphony, and he just makes that terrible grinding metal screeching noise, and just as you guys are like thinking about it, you can see everybody kind of cringing in unison over it, but he says... I don't know what it'll take to be able to get rid of him. I don't know how able-bodied you all are to fight him, but he will be doing his rounds in the evening, and if we're not quiet, he will find us in our hiding spot. Hmm. That would be a tough fight. I've seen it take entire squads to pull down a giant, and that's without magical powers. And so with that, somebody kind of chimes in from the back in the dark and says, well, you guys all look strong. You look well-armed. Surely you can handle this. And that same priest guy steps forward and he says, it's not their duty to help us. And he looks over at Anton above everybody else and he says, but if you are our light in the dark, we would all be so grateful. <laughs> you don't have to help us, but like, I mean, you know. I, know I, I, I never said I wouldn't help. I just shut up. Comes with the job description. So how tall is this giant? Like, if I got on Jarzak's shoulders or if would I be as tall as him? And if not, if Nora Hill got on Jarzak's shoulders and then I got on top of Jarzak, would we be as tall as him? And if not, if Anton got on Jarzak and then Nora Hill got on Anton and then I got on Nora Hill, would we be as tall as him? Twice that still and four times again, big around. And so with that, they just look all confused at all these names being dropped and they're like, uh. <laughs> what, what kind of knowledge check would it be to see like can is it normal for hill giants to like cast magic like it's a... pretty well known that this is just not the case not only do you guys all know that mages usually have some level of practice to them that requires patience and intelligence two things hill giants are just definitely not known for but the concept of there being a wild-blooded crazy sort of magic casting like a weird, you know, hill giant, like, that makes a lot more sense than one who can read a book. 
So you might be dealing with something closer to Klica than to Order Glare. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, what can you tell us about this giant, other than his strange obsession with the weapons and his ability to deal magic uh, and, Just, and his patrols in the evenings? Does he ever leave his domicile other than that? Well, no. He usually just travels around in the darkness looking for people who are just trying to survive. He's broken into many of our houses, and we've heard people being dragged off to be eaten in the night. Nobody returns during these rounds, and that's why we hide in here. There's a false basement that nobody knows about, and we hide down in there. He doesn't know where we all are, and so we just assume if he can't find this place, maybe we'll be all the more safe. He doesn't like to come right out and eat us in the daytime. It's only at night when he does his rounds. So... Perhaps catching him off guard in the morning will be your best bet, but I don't know if catching him on his own terrain is a good idea. But we don't have much time, so you need to make your choice right now. Are you going to be out there trying to get him? Because we're going in the basement. I know Norhill and Klika took some hits. Hold on, hold on. Anton goes first. Go ahead. I just know Norhill and Klika took some hits. I don't know how everyone's like feeling. And what was Noriel saying? I don't think we're in a position to win that fight tonight. I say, okay. I mean, you can stay with us. There's plenty of room in the basement if you guys would like to come down there and rest. Unless Jarzak feels some way about it. Uh, you know, reading books, I don't know why someone who could swing a weapon so hard uh, would do that. Just seems a little weird, but... Uh, not like exactly one. I'm not exactly looking to rush into this. Fair enough. And so with that, they kind of give knowing glances and they say, we've made some stew and everything is fine down in the basement. Huddled together, we give off enough warmth that the cold of the earth doesn't do much to us. Please. And they kind of like give a, a bit of a nod to head down into the basement. And once down there, you guys do feel very safe. You can hear the sounds of rumbling footsteps around the houses upstairs. Even down in the basement, you feel like the foundation shake a bit as if some huge thing is walking around outside. But apart from that, it doesn't seem like it's like stopping at the house or anything. And you can hear everybody get quiet for that moment. But again, uh, people just keep very quiet to themselves in here. Uh, was there anything you guys wanted to ask them in particular? How long has this been happening? And they say it's been about a week and a half now. He came in and he killed the constable and he killed the mayor and ate them both in front of us and took up home inside the tower. That's rude. <laughs> yeah, do you have any idea where he came from? No, it must have been the mountains. But I guess we were all just not expecting a magical casting hill giant to come down. So when push came to shove for us to try to fight back, he started incinerating people, so it definitely wasn't something we were prepared for. We tried to send out people to go find Order Glare, but when he wants to be hidden, we can't find him. And even if he could just grant us wisdom on what to do, it would be most beneficial, but none of us know where to find him. He makes himself known when he wants to be known. We've heard stories that he has some sort of hidden location out in the woods, something of a tower that doesn't make much sense infinitely expansive, but also infinitesimally small. So it's hard to say where he is, but if you found him, 
this might make life a lot easier for all of us. But at the same time, I don't know that we have that much time. Eventually, he's going to start looking in these homes and maybe into this one. If he's guided by magic, he might know where we are, too. Well, we have it's interesting that you bring him up because we ourselves need an audience in Hordeglad. And so with that, an old guy in the room kind of chimes in and he stands up and he says, I, I know where Order Glare is and I'll show you, but only if you kill this beast. And he gives sort of like a knowing nod and that omen lady starts tapping him on the side like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just the silence as everybody's like, eyelids slowly become slits like, really? <laughs> Do you know him? Can I do an insight? I hope so. Yeah. I That's a bold move. Like, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Does this guy know what he's talking about? So what did we get? 10. Oh. 15. What did Jarzak get? Jarzak got a 4. Ooh, and what did Kleeka get? Oh boy, could you imagine? 14. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. This guy's telling the truth, everybody. He knows exactly where he is. In fact, I think they graduated together. <laughs> he also went to Glory U. Go Seals. Yeah. <laughs> well, if that's what it will take to get us the audience that we need, we can certainly give it our best attempt. So with that, everybody kind of gives these weirdly dour nods as if recognizing the danger you guys are all stepping foot into, but also thinking like, well, I'm glad it's them and not me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so with that, um, okay, so I guess everybody can get the long rest and all that funky business. Did anybody have anything else they wanted to do while we're here? Uh, Norhill will pull out a set of uh, knuckle bones and try to keep entertained by playing dice. By himself? Or with anybody else who wants to join. What a weirdo. No, I'm just kidding. I'll play some dice. I have no idea what to do. Okay. <laughs> we'll, play, we'll, play, we'll play Liar's Dice. She's just like, I love dice, and just eats one. <laughs> like, oh my god, Anton, that is not how you play. Oops. Oh, I guess I lose. We'll find out in about six to eight hours if he wins. Um, <laughs> ew. Welcome to the podcast. But, okay, so at this point, um, it seems to liven the spirits of a lot of people in the room, and some people seem to, like, join in on it. But you can see a lot of other people who have probably lost somebody very close to them. They look at this as almost like, you fools have no idea what you're stepping foot into, and you're just over here playing freaking dice games. Like you have uh, no idea lady, I saw a lady get her fucking die by a kick to her neck. <laughs> Thank you, Anton, for that bountiful wisdom. I saw a lady get kicked in the neck. Well, you think I ain't lost something? I saw a guy kick a lady in the neck. <laughs> I seen it. But, okay, so rest comes easily enough uh, before a big day of combat with a seemingly ridiculous opponent um yep so is there any plan for you guys moving forward with this um yes so if we're if we actually are going to stick around and fight the giant um 
Norhill would like to try to set a trap. He doesn't want to go fight him in his uh, in his you know, castle or wherever it is he's holed up. Sure. Yeah. So Norhill wants to pick like you know a common like major route that the giant likes to walk on when he you know, goes out to eat people, and basically dig a big pit trap for it. So you're gonna try to get him in the night. Yes. Okay. So with that, um, do you tell this to the townsfolk? Uh, yes, Norhill is going to pitch his plan to all the townsfolk who listen. We're gonna, basically, they're going to dig, dig a big hole in one of the main roads and you know line it with like some sharpened stakes and whatnot. Okay. That, uh, that should yes. give us an advantage against his size. Okay. I'm just trying to think, because I know Hill Giant, I can speak it and I can write it. I got that weird pen. I'm just wondering if maybe something could be written that could warn him off. You suck. (laughs) Food this way. (laughs) Oh, I better go back to the mountains. Somebody graffitied my front door. Well, no, I mean, like, like, we can make, like, an illusion. Like, a fake, another fake, like, hill giant comes to the town. Another super intelligent magic hill giant comes in. And this is his town now. Where have you been all my life? (laughs) <laughs> also, just a sign that says, like, giant porn XXX this way. And he's like, ooh. <laughs> and we're a bit frisky, are we? Just written in the dark. Just written in the dirt. It's not even signed. Doesn't point, doesn't point at anything. <laughs> I never said he was a smart giant. He's just weird. And kinky. <laughs> but, okay. So, anywho. Do you um, want to take the blade from the tome guard and dress up like a dummy and put it um, corpse not her body no dress up a dummy like a scarecrow oh come on made, made that distinction and put the blade on it so that he thinks it's like a person and will walk over towards it when he get and get you could presumably use any sort of scarecrow as bait yeah but he's like he's looking for like swords and steel and stuff so that is a sword on it well sort of like he'll assume it's just a townsperson walking around with a sword or something like that and okay that'll lead him into the pitfall fair enough the sword itself upon like drawing it and looking at it it's a silvered short sword and it is like like platinum silver like it is just this bright white silver so he'll definitely be into that uh, I mean, if anyone has like a spare, like shitty dagger, that's not gonna get, that's not gonna get his attention from across the town. Yeah, it's like, that, what is that? A butter uh, knife? That, that sword will definitely stand out as bait. He'll die in porn. Anyway, um, so with that, um, I imagine you probably put the uh, townsfolk to work shoveling up a nice big gaping hole at an important point that he stands at. Yep. Okay. And, and so is the plan we'll, to and then we'll uh, cover and then we'll cover uh, cover up the hole. We'll get like a whole bunch of like tent canvas or something. Mm-hmm. You know, stake it down to the ground. You're pretty hard because if it's a hill giant, like uh, any of us should be able to theoretically walk across uh, the hidden pit and be fine the way we set it up. Okay. We don't have to be too light with it. So I'm gonna need you to pick. Uh, one of the like mental stats, Anthony, to be able to kind of like choreograph this whole event. 
So pick one that you think is best equipped to show how you're leading this move here. Cause I know you've got that sort of martially kind of like calling the shots background, but I want to know which one of these abilities you're actually like putting to use to get everybody to work on this. Cause digging ditches and filling them with the, uh, what they called uh, punji spikes or whatever they're called. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. building this kind of an elaborate trap is not the kind of thing that townsfolk are usually accustomed to. So which one are you going to roll and go for it? Um, let's go with intelligence. That feels like it would make the most sense. So this comes from sort of like his knowledge of just war tactics and just... Yeah, basically. Okay, fair enough. Good luck. Oh, yeah, look at that. I got an 18. Solid. So with that, I imagine bolstered by the need to help the queen to get something back out of her. Norhill just has no time for any of this nonsense to not work for him. So he manages to buck everybody into proper order and builds the trap to the exact dimensions that you mentioned. So at this point, um, okay, so we've set everything up perfect. Now about that scarecrow idea, what was the deal with that? Were we going to actually build like a scarecrow and just put the armor and gear over it with the sword dangling? Or... Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best way to do it. I'd, unless somebody has, uh, feels like they have a skill or something that's going to allow them to make a better scarecrow. We yeah. could easily just take one that already exists and put the armor and weapon on it. Fair enough. Okay. Oh. I can cast fairy fire on it to make it as noticeable as possible. Just all kinds of shimmery and purple. Just make it like. Yeah, super bright. <laughs> okay. So, uh, did Klika have any insight on how to do the scarecrow thing, or were you, were you just kind of spitballing? Um, I guess she's kind of just spitballing. She doesn't. She hasn't really ever built anything like that before, so she wouldn't know exactly how to do it herself. But she'd be happy to help if anybody thinks they could put it together. You know. Fair enough. Okay. So we'll just say action. we'll just say that people have the ability to make scarecrows out here just because of the nature of like the fields and literally just grab a scarecrow and just plant it in the ground before the trap. And like after hearing about the fairy fire and all that and the fancy sword, they managed to like, you know, tie the sword to the hand and make it look all kinds of like like dummy rigged to like a rope so they can make it look like it's swinging it around all glowing purple and stuff. So with that all in mind. Our hill giant friend is probably going to go on his rounds in a, about an hour or two after everybody's done setting up this massive planned attack. Um, and so I guess everybody runs and retreats back to the house, and the house is close enough to the location of this pit trap that if things do work out right, the townsfolk seem bolstered enough by how well this all came together that they're willing to like kind of gun for it 100% and try to help out. If it looks like it's in their favor, the town's going to start beating and chopping and trying their best to take back the town. But if it doesn't, it looks like they're going to back out on it. And so... I'm worried the... about us all staying in the same place. Well, right. The thing is, is that there's enough spaces between homes here and, like, the church and stuff that you guys could, like, hang out in the alleys and, like, look in at that section of road. It seems like the giant's attention is going to be put onto that well enough that nobody's going to be, like, you know what I mean, seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So with that, as the giant seems to be coming around the corner, hearing the loud bang of the big tower door slamming shut and all the route raucous like footsteps, you hear something start to kind of sing out into the darkness and it yells out and it says, Oh my boy, I'm so hungry. 
and you hear it yell out like that in the giant tongue, and then it kind of giggles to itself. And speaking in the common tongue, it barks out a couple times and it says, Oh, the children were so sweet. I wish I had some more. Maybe I'll fry them up. Maybe I'll just cook them in the oven. And so all of a sudden, every one of you guys just kind of shirk to a corner of a building. All of a sudden, hear him be like, Oh, maybe I'll mash up. <gasps> what is that? And you guys can tell he must be looking at something down this alleyway. So did Anton want to try to pull off that fairy fire move? Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, Anton's just like... <laughs> and he illuminates in what color, Ronnie? The uh, the scarecrow. Um, it's gonna be like a really luminescent yellow. Okay, so all of a sudden it starts glowing yellow and sunshiny, and you hear the giant beckon out and it says, "I am Ondeg the Weird, and I'm gonna eat you." And and all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe Norhill is the one who does it, but somebody pulls the little string that has the silver blade dangling yeah. off of it, and you see this, like, floppy scarecrow arm whipping about, and he's like, <clears throat> A weapon? You dare fight me? And with that, a single arcing lightning bolt comes soaring through the air, crackling, and it just, like, explodes the head clean off of the scarecrow, and the arm is still wiggling <laughs> on the rope. <laughs> And with that, um, I'm going to need, I don't know, Anthony, I guess what I'm going to want you to do is, can you roll a con saving throw to, like, keep your cool during this moment? Sure. No, 10. So the arm wiggles more frantically than before, but still in the same vein of, like, and as this happens, the giant, like, gasps deeply and is just like, Oh, magical, I see. A tougher opponent than I was expecting. And you hear a couple of, like, warm-up footsteps and says, let's see if you can handle all of me. And all of a sudden you hear, like, two warm-up, like, boom, boom, boom. And then just the sound of snapping branches and wood and all of that as the trap is sprung. And you just hear this blood-curdling noise of, like, splorch crunch as something falls into that pit with a huge heft. And all of a sudden the building behind you guys is just erupting as people come funneling out of it, armed with sticks and stones and knives and pitchforks and a bunch of the shovels and trowels they had from before. And they just go run into the sides and start hurling stuff in. And you guys don't even really do much of pretty much anything as it seems like this trap went off pretty much without a hitch at all. And I imagine there's probably some level of like, I don't know. This is almost cruel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the villagers are just like, now we're going to eat his baby. <laughs> like, oh this no, they were the bad ended. guys. The giant's just like, I kept the cannibal village at bay. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's where we're going to end it. Good night. Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.